there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, we're warmed up and ready for Dr. Rashi Batar to do some advanced medicine with us. And, man, after covering the first story of hour one last hour without you, Dr. Batar, we need all the advanced medicine we can get to, to help these uh, PhD and MDs, uh, you know, get common sense back into the equation. I think, it's, I think it's like you go to medical school and they drum common sense out of you or the ability to question things to say, my gosh, my producer, Super Don, seems to be smarter than doctors very often here on this show, as evidenced by last hour. Well, I, I don't think it's actually um, an issue of the, the common sense being drummed out of them. I think what happens is that common sense is um, basically not rewarded, and the mentality is that here is the cookbook, i.e., the pharmacopoeia, yeah, and here are the textbooks that tell you which drug to use for which disease state because they create everything becomes like a category, right? They, they take uh, symptoms, they categorize them into diseases, and then those drugs are used to treat those diseases, and you're supposed to follow that, quote, standard of care. And if you deviate from that, quote, standard of care by actually thinking and understanding physiology and seeing how the body is actually working and what you should try to do to help the body to support it or to detoxify yeah. it or nourish it, that is not rewarded. Um, it's actually punishable, as you right. know, by yes. various you know methods that they use, and you become ostracized and demonized and minimized, and so doctors then basically become corralled like a mm-hmm. herd of cattle into going down the right chute. And if you don't go down the chute, you know they'll they'll prod you with an electric. Um, prodder. It's like you know it's when like, your dog poops in the house and you rub your dog's poop nose nose in the poop. And the dog goes, oh, I don't like that, and he, and he starts to learn to poop outside the, the house. That, that's kind of what I see the training is uh, for the doctors to figure out, no, 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 don't ask that question. <laughs> you know, we're going to make it very uncomfortable for you if you start bringing that in here. You know, that's not yeah, standard that's, of care. That's exactly right. And what's interesting is that the standard of care is so arbitrary, too. There's no written standard of care. In fact, science is constantly changing. The new research is coming out. Things are dynamic. But they have this standard of care, which is this mythical document somewhere out there that nobody can produce, but it's considered the standard of care. And so whatever that standard is, whatever the hierarchy decides was, is the standard of mm-hmm. care. So any deviation, any innovation, anything out of the box is considered below the standard of care automatically. It has no, nothing to do with the fact that the patient is now out of the wheelchair and walking and talking, blah, blah, blah. No, it has nothing to do with that. Yeah. Below the standard of care. Don't show me any evidence of the patient actually getting well. That doesn't, it's irrelevant. You know, we've exactly. talked about that before. Uh, yeah, now, for those of you just that's joining, exactly, adva- exactly, mm-hmm. that's exactly what the medical board responded to, uh, my case, from 2005 to 2010, after we had 43 stage four cancer patients that were ready to testify. They allowed five to testify, mm-hmm. and all five were three and a half years or more out, but the longest one, eight years out from our treatment. All were terminal, all were stage four, all were referred to hospice. And after the testimony, the medical board's exact word was exactly what you said, irrelevant. One irrelevant. Word 
So here's what I propose, uh, you know, would happen in this case. The opening article we talked about, for those of you just joining us in the second hour with Dr. Bittar here, uh, we opened with a breakthrough in Alzheimer's treatment. Okay, that's what was promised in this uh, news article. And then it says treating leaky blood vessels in 40-year-olds could prevent Alzheimer's before it starts, research suggests. So they're saying that a normal healthy blood protein called fibrinogen is there, and but in these pa- patients potentially going down the road to Alzheimer's, it becomes uh, somehow accumulates in the brain, and they posit, oh, my gosh, we've got leaky blood vessels. The blood's getting in there, therefore the vibrinogen is getting in there. How are we going to stop this? So they, they acknowledge that the blood leak is the issue, right? But they say, you know, our solution is let's take a drug or an enzyme to break down the fibrinogen before it gets there. And it's like, wait a second, you've told us the problem is the leak, not the fibrinogen, because it's normally in there in healthy blood. Why not fix the leak? Well, they don't have a drug to fix the leak. Now, if, if a doctor were to get wind of the things we know, like our buddy Chris Barr has talked about, connective tissue integrity uh, by restoring silicon stores in the body, silica, the trace mineral, and you begin to give your patients that, you say, this is, this is the treatment to prevent or reverse some of the neurological issues. And then the, the doctors would come in, or let's say the board would come in and attack the doctor who does this and say, that's not the standard of care. Now, you could bring 40 patients, 50 patients like you did, and say, look, all of these people had this problem. They no longer have this problem. The judge would now say, or the board would say, that's irrelevant. Is that what I'm getting here? Is that what I'm getting? Well, let's, let's make sure we quantify this correctly. So the first thing is you can't say that silica is going to treat the leaky blood vessel because that would be uh, a drug out. claim. That would, be, that would be a drug claim, exactly. Yeah. So you can talk about a functional claim, and you can talk about how silica is important for um, connective tissue integrity yeah. and may help to prevent. Um, well, actually, I don't think you said that. I didn't even they, think they you used prevent. You. I mean, this is yeah. absurd, but this is the kind of yeah. deal we got in America where the land of the free, freedom of speech does exist, except if you're healing someone. Right. So you'd have to say something like that it may help to, uh, it may help maintain integrity of vascular system. But yes. Robert, you got to also remember, though, that you, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, very irresponsible for us to make a leap off, okay, if there's leaky vessels and then think that silica is going to fix that leak. I mean, Silica may help to maintain integrity of the vascular tree. That's true, but that doesn't mean that it's going to prevent this leakage. First of all, it's, it's a leap anyway to think fibrin or fibrinogen is the cause of Alzheimer's. That's that's preposterous anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can that can that initiate a cascade? Sure, but then you yeah. Well, there, like there's no mention C. of mercury here at all, as we know. Exactly. Uh, but, exactly. You, know, you ad- so, identify one part of the elephant and say you you, you see the whole ele- elephant. No, that's it, just the trunk. That's the foot. That's the yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so when you start talking about vascular tree integrity, the most important thing um, to talk about is actually vitamin C, which is probably the, the most um, important aspect of vascular integrity that we don't... Remember, we don't produce vitamin C, right? Humans don't produce their own vitamin C. That's why we, we need the vitamin C. Um, or we don't produce sufficient amounts of vitamin When you start talking about things like silica and you start think, talking about things like various minerals and various vitamins and various other essential amino acids that the body needs, this comes back to the overall global aspect of proper nutrition mm-hmm. and then adequate supplementation because today's nutrition is devoid of adequate supplementation, not only because is it nutriently um, deficient, but also because our current societal needs in modern day society are greater to counteract the yeah the 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 displacement we've talked about mineral displacement due to toxicity heavy metals etc 
and we can't acknowledge gross deficiencies that do exist in patients, right? Uh, that, right. you know, n- beyond even the scurvies and the berry berries, I mean, there's so many other things that even though they're known in the scientific literature, you don't hear about them in, in allopathic medical circles being discussed that often. Right. But I'm talking about even beyond that. So the mm-hmm. stressors of worrying about getting mugged, uh, worrying about uh, taxes, worried about, you know, your children um, starting drugs or whatever. These are all modern-day society worries, greater stressors, okay? So mm-hmm. we're worrying about nuclear warfare. We're worried about, um, you know, our investment portfolios. We're worried about um, our retirement savings. We're, all these different things that people have greater stressors that they, that they uh, didn't have to deal with maybe 100 years ago, and then they also don't get enough nutrients in their food which we did before, and then they don't get enough exercise that we used to get before. You know, the grandpa right. saying, you know, when I was in school, I used to walk 10 miles in the snow barefooted before the, you know, before the sun even rose, that mm-hmm. type of thing. So this devoid exercise, devoid uh, nutrition or, or less nutrition, less exercise, more stressors, um, more, more need to have proper nutrition, and that widening uh, is that, 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 that chiasm that in, is increasing consistently over the last probably 40, 50 years is really where pathology starts to exist. That's why we have a greater instance of heart disease, of cancer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we talk about metal toxicology as an important part of this. There's an interesting oh, yeah. story uh, written by Catherine Frompovich. It says, once upon a time, there were aluminum-free adjuvant vaccines. What happened? Uh, and it, apparently... If you add aluminum adjuvants, and we know why they do it, into vaccines, there's no requirement uh, to test them in a clinical setting before approval. I mean, you Mm -hmm. talk about the lack of science and evidence for safety and efficacy, but I think they were so desperate to elicit antibody responses that anything they could find that would trigger a real nerve aggravation that could uh, more likely, again, stimulate something that they can titer, they were like, well, we got to do it. Don't even, don't even check for safety. We got to do it because otherwise these vaccines are worthless. And even if they do produce an antibody, we talk about worthlessness because that's only one small fraction of the entire immune response. And you right. can still so now, get a disease with it. So, Right. So now, this chiasm that I was talking about, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I haven't even brought in the toxicity aspect. I haven't even brought in the, the environmental triggers and the heavy metals and persistent organic pollutants and the um, energetic toxicities and the uh, opportunistic deaths. So this would be like in Star Trek, you know, you're you're um, you're traveling at the speed of whatever it is, and then when they hit the uh, hyperdrive and boom, they um, launch into what do they call it when they when the oh they go to light speed, warp speed, warp speed, right? Yeah, warp yeah. speed. So when you throw the toxicities into this uh, consistently increasing chiasm, um, that's like hitting warp speed, and now you've got pathology that's exponentially uh, increasing. So the point, again, is that it's amazing that the system that the, that the creator created, i.e. the physiological system, whether it's human or animal, is able to tolerate all the abuse that we do to it, that we put it through, and then on top of it, we don't give it the proper rest, we don't give it the proper nutrition, we don't give it the proper fuel, we, we, we abuse it, and uh, we put it under more duress and more stressors, and it still continues to function. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Well, again, as I read this and cover it, we've been doing this for years together, Dr. Batari. You know, I still, I guess it's good that I can still be astonished <laughs> by the level of dunderheadedness out there uh, when they're not picking up on these things and reading them appropriately and, you know, following the tracks back to origin point. Even if they acknowledge the origin point, then they, they immediately forget it and start going into, again, what won't get their uh, noses wiped in the poop, 
You know, so like, no, we can't look there. And we're still dealing with that. And I talk about the control. How do we control the population? Through fear, uh, through a, a loss, like the threatened loss of something. And uh, we're threatening to uh, provide for you that which is your birthright. Not that we can actually provide it, just to remind you that it's yours already. And some people find that threatening. Some people find that fearful. But if you're here for many years, you you embrace it. You love it, as, as I do, as Dr. Batar does, as Super Don does, because he's still here after all these years. we got a lot more to talk about. Advanced Medicine Monday continues with Dr. Rashi Batar on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Links are up in the show notes where you can listen and hear the archives as well. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Two hours a day, six days a week, right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, special edition each and every week. We do this on Mondays typically. You might hear it by delay wherever you are, but it's just as good as the day it first airs. That is called Advanced Medicine, right here with Dr. Rashi Bittar. You can also go to advancedmedicine.com. Special greeting to all of y'all listening to the stream right now at advancedmedicine.com. We appreciate that. And of course, watching on the YouTube uh, channel feed at RS Bell Media Channel. You can always find that at robertscottbelt.com. Dr. Batar, uh, we had a, a question on the YouTube uh, feed from uh, Robert. He says, on a different, different Robert, says, Dr. Batar, how can we change the standard of care? That, that's, a, that's kind of a loaded question. You know, that's a, that's a really good question, and it's a question that I'll tell you how, how I answered it. Um, in 2010, after my last huge battle with the board, um, they basically said that I was guilty of not practicing uh, the standard of care. Mm-hmm. And to the chagrin of my attorney, I stood up and he basically was telling, you know, don't say anything, don't say anything, because they, they basically said they were going to fine me, I don't remember, $250,000 and suspend my license and blah, blah, all sorts of different things. And of course, that's why, you know, we went to Superior Court and of course, I never had any suspension. I had no fine, uh, unrestricted license practice. We we basically, the medical board wanted to backtrack and sign a consent order because of all the stuff that ended up happening when we went to Superior Court. They didn't really want to go to Superior Court. They didn't want to really get it outside of <laughs> no. their own kangaroo court. Right. But the point is that when they brought that, when, they, when I stood up and my attorney didn't want me to stand up, I said, I have never done anything standard in my life, and I'm not about to now go down to the standard of anything. So I will continue <laughs> yes. to practice medicine above the standard of care, just like I've yes. done everything in my life above the standard. And right. he, of course, my attorney would just put his hand on his forehead, and of course the board didn't like it, but yeah. the rest is history. So, Yeah, well, beautifully and accurately said. I will not uh, practice what is your standard, which is substandard. That's why we do and advanced think, medicine. And I think this is the point, the question that was asked is that when a people stop tolerating nonsense, because remember, mm-hmm. everything comes down to what the public will tolerate. And when, when a people basically stop tolerating this type of nonsense and demand uh, a different answer, and when the group is big enough to demand that answer, then the ch- change will occur. So people think that, you know, societies don't, um, societies don't change based upon regulatory um, means or governmental bodies or, or um, uh, professional societies. It's always based upon the public demand. So remember what Thomas Jefferson said 200 and whatever years ago, 
when a people allow a government to dictate the foods that they put in their mouths and the medicines that they put into their bodies, their souls will soon be in the same sorry state as those who live under tyranny. So we have to not allow ourselves to be in that type of tyranny by mm-hmm. simply stating that we, we, are, we do not accept the standard of care as acceptable. To have two out of every three, uh, what is it, one out of every three men and two out of every uh, three women and will end up having cancer sometime in their life. And this is data that goes back to 1999 and 2000. This is prior to electric light bulbs now having mercury in them and uh, before Fukushima and because, all the stuff. In another seven to eight years, maximum by 2030, but I think by 2025, I believe that every man, woman, and child in North America will end up having some type of cancer sometime in their life just because of all the, all the increase in toxicity. Because remember, the quoted data from the National Cancer Institute and the, and the American Cancer Society is all 18 or 19 years old now, the one out of two and one out of three uh, men and women. Oh, yeah, it's, it's much worse at this point, no doubt about it. Uh, it there's another interesting layer to this, uh, the, the doctors, you know, because it's also what they're willing to tolerate. You know, it's not, not only the patients, although the, the patients could revolt and then they'd have to change, the doctors would have to change. But there are doctors that have left the profession and have, have been freed by doing so and are doing great work uh, despite that or because of that. Uh, but there are doctors that are even pushing back on the concept that, that uh, we saw discussed in the State of the Union address by Dr. Uh, sorry, by, by, uh, by Donald Trump, by President Trump. And he talked about the, the concept of the right to try. You know, it's like, why do people have to leave America, the United States, where we have great innovation potential, despite a lot of obstacles to that potential or innovation. And they have to leave to be able to try experimental treatments. And, of course, I, I see the parallel track. If you would allow experimental treatments, you have to also allow experimental non-drug treatments, not only about experimental drugs. And there are doctors actually arguing against this because they say it could be dangerous. And I'm thinking, what do you think is happening under the FDA approval process? How do you think it became the third leading cause of death to argue against the right to try because you're afraid that someone might get hurt are you kidding me have you been paying attention to anything much less that which is in the peer-reviewed literature listen we're up against a break i'm going to get dr batar to comment on that as well we also have a breast cancer story and exposure to bisphenol a plasticizers is it even possible to escape that exposure we'll get to that more after this you're listening to the robert scott bell show the Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. I was mentioning that some doctors apparently are opposed to the right to try concept that uh, Donald Trump urged Congress to, you know, enact to say, you know what, it's ridiculous that Americans have to leave America to get things that uh, we don't approve of. The FDA, the third leading cause of death, apparently, uh, maybe second or first, the way I argue it. But uh, Dr. Bittar, your perspective on that, those the doctors who say, well, well, that might be dangerous to allow people to just try stuff. Yeah, I think it's because they're afraid that their fiefdom will be jeopardized. I think that's really what it comes down to, because um, if you think about experimentation in medicine, um, the use of many of these drugs that have been used, well, let's, let's even forget about the drugs. Look mm-hmm. at the origins of the CDC. When we talk about the origins of the CDC, remember 
the movie, what was it called, where they did the syphilis experimentation on the African-American population, I think the, the, it was in Alabama. The Tuskegee, the Tuskegee, Tuskegee. experiment. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so very few people realize that that organization is actually the uh, predecessor of the Centers for Disease Control. So we have done lots of human experimentation, and Tuskegee is only one of uh, a number of different uh, outrageous things that have been done in mm-hmm. the name of science, where there's human experimentation. Of course, Hitler did all sorts of different things like that. And so when you're talking about the use of a natural substance that by definition will not inhibit a pathway, will not prevent a reaction from taking place, but just will open up and enhance a pathway, then how can that be considered to be um, dangerous? Because the body just itself regulates it. Whatever excess is put into the body that the body doesn't need, you'll just urine it out. That's why you see urine that's more yellow or more concentrated when people take a lot of extra vitamins or extra uh, supplements, because they're, they've got very expensive urine now, but, but the body has a self-regulatory mechanism. You really can't hurt the body with natural substances. That's one of the beauties of using a more natural methodology, whereas a pharmaceutical is not designed to enhance a pathway or open up pathways. They're mm-hmm. actually designed to inhibit, to prevent, to block pathways. And that's, by, by definition, that's where the problem arises. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, no, none of the drugs that we use address the two most critical aspects of all disease. One, toxicity, and two, nutrient deficiency. So there's no drug that addresses nutrient deficiency, and there's no drug that addresses toxicity. Yes, there are substances that will bind to toxic substances and pull them out, and that's what we use. Let's just remember the the person that came on air um, about two years ago that started giving me all these accolades, and I kind of stopped her. She, I think she was a nurse practitioner from California. Because yeah. you were a, na- said, a natural doctor, right? Yeah, she said that I was the greatest natural doctor or something like that, and I stopped her, and I said, what is natural about taking a sharp needle and injecting a synthetic amino acid that's not natural into the human body? I mean, what's natural about that? And, of course, it's, it's not natural at all, but what we're doing is we're, we've got an extraordinary situation with the toxicities that man is being exposed to, and so it takes extraordinary means to negate and remove those toxicities, and that's what I'm doing. Now, if you want to say that my goal is to reestablish the normal balance, the natural balance, yes, I would take that. And during the break, of course, you told me where to beat up on somebody that uh, is giving you a compliment, but the point that I wanted yeah. to make sure that people understood is that I'm not, I'm not trying to do something necessarily natural. I'm trying to reestablish the natural balance, and that's where the key is. And yes. it just so happens that we have some, you know, weapons in our arsenal that are are powerful weapons that help us, allows us to actually uh, reestablish that balance. So, using mm-hmm. a chelator, for example, you know, chelators. Most of the chelators that we use, ethylene dimethyltetracetic acid, dimethyl propanosulfonate, um, some of these other chelators, these are not naturally occurring compounds. Yes, they are naturally occurring compounds you can use, but the problem with the naturally occurring compounds, for example, like um, uh, cilantro or uh, garlic or some of these other types of things, very cilantro is a great natural concentrator of mercury. But the problem is that when you test cilantro supplements, they already are very, very high in mercury because they naturally concentrate mercury. So unless you're getting cilantro that's from um, that's been grown in a petri dish in a lab in a closed environment. Uh, it's it's not going to end up working. From from I mean I love cilantro and it's going to taste great on your food, but it's not going to yeah. really bind to the mercury because it's already naturally concentrated. It. Yeah, I mean, those we, examples we, make sense. We saw that with other substances that Mike Adams tested that were claimed to be 
uh, chelators uh, that actually had the stuff already in them, and they were testing what was coming out because it was passing through the GI tract when people ingested them. And so rather than validating the pathways of how, how it was supposedly binding to metals in the body, it was carrying the metals in, and then it was carrying them right out, the same ones they brought in. So, that, you know, important distinctions to make. And I think the distinction here on the, the doctors opposed to right to try, at least in this article on time, they're not, they're not even mentioning the natural options. They're just talking about experimental drugs not yet approved by the Fear and Death Administration, as I cause them, call them, the, the FDA. Uh, so they, they're looking at, okay, could these uh, non-approved drugs be dangerous? Yeah, well, I'll grant you that. But I'm just saying that the, the approved ones are proving to be as dangerous as anything you can imagine. And, and right, that's right. You know, already validated. So you, to your point, Dr. Bittar, I think their concern, like you said, their, their own turf is, hey, we get the exclusive privilege of writing on a piece of paper what you can take that nobody else is allowed to write. And so if you yeah. start going off of that and doing these natural, not approved substances, what are, what are we doing? What are we for? We're not going to be needed yeah. anymore. They're, that's exactly right. Their fear is becoming obsolete. That's exactly right. So I'll share a little private story. Um, there is a physician that's now in Germany, and um, he's been, he had actually done some of the work with uh, using electrophoresis and other types of, um, like, dialysis-type technologies to try to filter out cancer cells. Um, and I think, Robert, you know him, Dr. Lentz. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, he and I had lectured a couple times together at some conferences, and he left the United States, I don't remember how long ago, probably probably 10 years ago or maybe even longer than that. But what was interesting was one of his machines that he had developed when they were doing a, a – they were basically trying to get approval here in the United States with the FDA. And one of the – people that were sitting on the board of the FDA was an oncologist and said, absolutely not, blah, blah, blah. It's basically was filtering out uh, tumor cells, uh, specific types of tumor cells. And as they adjourned the meeting and Dr. Lentz walked out, this particular oncologist with the FDA then walked out after Dr. Lentz and told him he wanted to use this treatment for his wife who had breast cancer, yet in the forum had had objected to the use of this uh, new device uh, very vehemently, was very much against it. But then when he walks out, says, you know, how, how can I get my wife to get this treatment because she had breast cancer? So that type of hypocrisy is, is another problem where people, when they are, when it's their own family member, then they'll look for anything else. But they forget that when they're sitting on their high chairs making, making these decisions and dictating policy. Because here's the thing. When they say it's, it's, experiment, it's experimental and it could be potentially dangerous, well, the person that is dying today is not going to be around tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. So if they're on the edge, why not let them try something that has the potential of saving their life? Well, we have an authoritarian drug regime. And, you know, going back to 1910, Flex Report, everything else that manifested from that is playing itself out. Now, eventually it's become, going to become obsolete as we talk about the tolerance level of the people, the patients, the tolerance level, perhaps the nurses and the doctors. We're seeing some rumbling, for instance, on the vaccine mandates for flu shots among nurses, some physicians. And so when that rumbling becomes loud enough and they all go, you know, we're walking out, we're out of here, then obviously it's going to have to change. Uh, We mentioned the Buckminster-Fuller concept of making an existing paradigm obsolete rather than necessarily trying to change it from within. You just kind of outcreate it and they they all go, oh, we better start doing that or we're done, we're dinosaurs here. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's the key, right? That goes back to answer the question 
of the listener who asked uh, how do we change the standard uh, of care. Listen- exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, on to another cause of uh, dis-ease, so to speak, toxicity, persistent organic pollutants. Now we're finding one called bisphenol A, BPA. We've talked about it for many years. It's a plasticizer. It helps to kind of make them, I don't know, soft or whatever, but it's everywhere, including, as I've been warning you, every time you touch a uh, heat-sensitive printed receipt from the store, you're getting this bisphenol A, this um, endocrine-mimicking compound. Xenoestrogen, they call it. They so found the that, stuff it, that the, the, this mm-hmm. is the smearing ink on those receipts. Yep. Yeah. Correct. It's wow. all it's all wow. a plasticizer, and it's all you know. A lot of it's BPA, and they're saying that it's measurable. Um, the vast majority uh, of seventeen to ninety year, year olds had this. Found, they found this in their urine. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they 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 tried to get a, a kind of a BPA free diet and lifestyle. And then they retested these people, and they found almost an inconsequential minimum, you know, maybe a subtle little bit less. So the point is, in this, in this, in this study, they're saying there's no way to avoid BPA anymore. And, of course, this we, we talk about the girly men, right? There's a lot of gender confusion, feminization of boys, for instance. And, of course, there are adverse events to women who are being exposed to xenoestrogens as well in terms of cancer production. We are now in an utterly polluted terrain of about many things, but the BPA, they're saying, even if you try to escape it, there's no escape from it, Dr. Bittar. Yeah, it's basically everywhere. You're right. I, I did not know that this was the, the ink that's on those receipts. I remember uh, actually getting some in my hand thinking this can't be good, but um, I remember you mentioning this before sometime about some of the some of the components that we're getting just yeah, when they hand it to me, uh, if I take it, I'm get, I'm grabbing the backside, which doesn't have that stuff, and I'm folding it over on itself so I don't touch it. If I do, I, w- I want to wash my hands really quickly, or else I might start talking like this on the next radio show. Yeah, but I don't even know whether washing your hands is really going to make any difference, Robert. No, I, I don't know thing. either. Yeah. It's actually in a Time magazine, I don't know, about 10 years ago, they covered a story on the cover of Time magazine that had the playground shown, and they talked about how the treated lumber in playgrounds uh, was laced with arsenic because that's, yes. that's how you, they treat lumber. And mm-hmm. so they were talking to the different industries that make these playgrounds for schools and for public uh, areas. And the recommendation to prevent the children from becoming arsenic toxic was for them to wash their hands after they play on the playgrounds. And that was mm-hmm. the most absurd thing because washing your hands is not going to get rid of the arsenic. Right. It's absorbing through the dermis and it's you know, getting absorbed through the body. So. Well, and um, now they've yeah. turned these playgrounds into plastic uh, zones. So, you know, it's like trade one poison for another, which is why, uh, you know, you've got to do your level best, your due diligence, so to speak, to minimize exposure. And sometimes there's no way you can escape exposure. So what do you do? That's why we talk about supplementation. That's why we talk about the techn- techniques that we have to detox the body, how critical that is so that we can deal with a, a life, uh, you know, that unfortunately is in a, in a toxic planet at this point. Yep, you're absolutely right. All right, we got one more segment here on Advanced Medicine version of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Rasha Bittar, you can find him at drbuttar.com. Also, medicalrewind.com, loads of uh, archives, hundreds, hundreds, thousands of hours, and as well as uh, advancedmedicine.com. Awesome stuff available to you, including uh, his book. You can see it over my, I think, my left shoulder. Yeah, it's right in the corner there. Where is it? There it is. The nine steps to keep the doctor away. Go get it now, and we'll be back to wrap it up after this break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. 
taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. It was last week on the Robert Scott Bell Show we learned that uh, yoga is apparently uh, a, a white racist uh, elitist uh, a practice and it's, it's cultural appropriation and so we should all stop doing yoga immediately. And that's according to a Michigan State professor. Uh, so we all know how well that's going to go. But now we have a study about meditation. And the headline reads this, Dr. Bittar. Meditation has limited role in making you a better person. Hmm. I, but, I you know, I, before we even go into this, I think that during this last break when we were yeah. on the YouTube channel, I think we needed to all meditate because we did all sorts of... <laughs> funky stuff in my head still spinning a little bit from <laughs> we did book. alter reality yeah. on the break we did exactly messing with the time space continuum and everything else in between so did um, anybody get hurt in the chat room is everybody okay super don i think so i, th- I think they survived no but, yeah i've got a i've got a migraine so i'm gonna need to <laughs> do so i think i think they all shut their computers and went to sleep after that yeah. so yeah, we have one listener left now. Huh? <laughs> all right. The study by scientists at Coventry University in the United Kingdom. Why, why are we doing all these U.K. studies? Also, uh, Massey University in New Zealand. New Zealand's in the house. And Radboud, uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, University in the Netherlands reviewed more than 20 studies that investigated the effect of various types of meditation, such as mindfulness and loving kindness on pro-social feelings and behaviors. Initial analysis indicated that meditation did not have an overall positive impact. Now, I guess the question wait is... Second, wait a second, wait a second, yeah. wait a second. What was, the, what was the title of the study, though? It will not make you a better person. Is that what it said? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So meditation is not done to make you a better person. Meditation is done to downregulate your physiology. Yeah, that's why I was going to ask you that. Already. Yeah, it, it yeah. seemed... I, I don't know. You, 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 come on, do some meditation. You'll be a better person. I never heard it sold that way. I guess maybe somebody has, but... You think about the physiological implications of, of meditating. What are the benefits that are real and legitimate that they obviously didn't pay attention to in this study? Well, here's the thing. A person can start breathing deeply, diaphragmatic breathing, where when you take a deep breath in, most people suck in their stomach. But actually, the correct way of breathing is when you take a deep breath in, your diaphragm should actually expand, so your stomach should go out. And then you breathe yeah. out, and as you exhale, breathing out, your stomach should come in. And if you put your hand and start breathing the right way, put your hand on your stomach and start breathing the right way, and just focus in on your breath. That is a form of meditation, and you will see your blood pressure drop, you will see pulse rate drop, you will see respiratory rate drop, you will see all sorts of different things occurring immediately. It doesn't have to be anybody that even knows anything about meditation, but that is a form of meditation. It's a down-regulation. It's mm-hmm. basically focusing on your breath, and that is one of the three methods of, uh, one of the three general methods of meditation that are that uh, David Hawkins actually talks about. He categorizes three different types of meditations. But the point that I'm making is that it's a down-regulation of your physiology. And if anybody's meditating to become a better person, well, <laughs> uh, you just missed the boat. If you want to be a better person, go donate your time at a homeless shelter or or become a big yes. brother or big sister with the, you know, with the big brother, little brother um, mm-hmm. societies or, or help a little old man or a little old lady across the street or donate your time or go to a soup kitchen, that's going to make you a better person, but not meditation. You, you can be a very evil, bad person and still get still meditate. from meditation. Right, but you're not going to become a better person from meditation. But you're, you're, you will have physiological benefits, measurable, validatable, yeah. if you will. Uh, you know, so the impact on quantifiable, but they, they validate this, you know, the impact on the autonomic nervous system. You don't even realize you're breathing shallow. You know, you know you're, you're breathing, it's automatic, 
but you have some level of control over the depth at which you do that and how that transforms your physiology for the better. So you will become uh, your, let me say your, your body will become better. Could that be accurate? Yes, that would be accurate. Yes. But yeah. it definitely is not going to make you a better person. Mm. All right. Like, super Don, like you can, uh, yeah. I like that conclusion though, that they made. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. The conclusion that you Meditation will not make you a better person. I, I like that because that's probably an accurate statement. It will not. <laughs> it, may, it may be, but Super Don, all of that meditation you've been doing, it's not for naught. At least your heart rate is lowered. Yeah. <laughs> is that the same thing as navel gazing? Navel gazing? Uh, no. No, I, no? I don't. Okay. Unless all you're right. deep breathing while you're doing that. I mean, how do you look at your own navel? I think that would you be You haven't heard that before, people contemplating their navel? <clears throat> yes, but gazing at it, I just don't know how you well, do that. Well, it means the same thing. It's the same thing. Okay. All right. Well, you may have to, you may have to gaze at somebody else's navel. I'm thinking. Very difficult to gaze at your own navel. Yeah, right. Unless it counts looking at your navel in the mirror, but then it's backwards, and then we're back to the conundrum of violating the space-time continuum as we enter into warp drive again. All right. And you got the issue with the yoga too. Remember the yoga aspect. So Unless you bring goats to your yoga class, then it's all all is well. All right, folks, we're out of time. Tell them what they need to know because we got to go, Dr. Bittar. That the power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.